Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Sarianne Gruber. She's a project director, health data specialist consultant at State of New Jersey Department of Human Services, COVID-19 Emergency Grant Mental Health. As a blogger and thought leader, Sarianne has published over 80 articles on population health, data science, value-based care, and social determinants of health. Her articles appear in Answers Media Network, Predictive World Analytics, Telehealth and Telecare Aware, and Pharmaceutical Representative. Her project list also includes working for companies such as GE Healthcare, Tenet Healthcare, Anthem Healthcare, GFK Healthcare, John Theodore Cancer Center at the Hackensack University Medical Center, Mount Sinai Health Systems, Johnson & Johnson, and Novartis. Hi, Sarian. Welcome to our podcast series. We're so excited to have you with us today. Well, thank you. I'm very excited to be here as well. So let's get started with what you do today. You do something very important right now. So let's start there. So what is your job? What do you do today? I'm actually a consultant in healthcare analytics. Um, My background is in biostatistics and epidemiology. Um, I've worked in pharma industry. I've worked for hospitals. I've even worked for financial institutions. And for the last several years, I've been working with healthcare um, startups and most recently working with New Jersey Department of Human Services on the COVID-19 study of mental health, um, which is a great challenge. It's something that I've always wanted to do in terms of giving back to the community and to the state and you know, determining policy based on the data that we're analyzing. So there is so much news out there, right, about COVID-19. <laughs> Are you getting everything you need? Because I know there's like so much attention on it. And whenever you have too much attention, sometimes it's a problem getting work done. So how is that going? Well, you know, the attention is really really based on a core need of mental health, the mental health crisis during COVID. Now we have a mental health crisis in our country period, but the COVID really exacerbated, exacerbated the inequities of the healthcare, social determinants of health. And we want to make sure that, that people get access and not only get access, but we're also doing a research study to see how well on um, the outcomes of that access really help people and where we, we can improve or maybe allocate more funds and reach certain communities that are hard to reach. So for me, it's really been uh, very personal. I mean, <laughs> in terms of mental health is an issue with core family and friends. These are things that people don't like to talk about, but I really think that, you know, just having a bad day of in your house for weeks and you're taking care of your children and it's on a Zoom and they're out in school or you may have lost a job or a loved one is, is has COVID. So it really covers every aspect of your life where you may need a little bit of help to, to get through it. So growing up, what did you want to be? I know you have background in biostatistics and you started in pharma, but what was your ambition growing up? I'll be honest with you, my three spot was always um, mathematics and sciences. So I knew that was where my my strength was and would be my forte. And, and I come from a family, a medical family and scientific family. Uh, my father was a urologist, a surgeon, and a dear uncle of mine is a, was a nuclear physicist. So we had, we had science around us a lot. So it was a, com- you know, it was it was a comfortable area even though I have to say for women it really I was kind of like in the minority so that was that was an area that I felt very comfortable with Um, when I attended college I was at Goucher College when it was all women and I was one of the what they had they had actually first instituted the first department of computer science I was really captivated by programming and how to move data and numbers 
So I did a combined major in biology and computer science. And uh, since we were in Baltimore, where the, my college was located outside of Baltimore, we also had a very strong connection to Johns Hopkins and to the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health, where I was able to take some coursework there. And I got, I was hooked with the epidemiology study of disease, the data. I said, this is where I'm going to go. At least to apply to one of the epidemiology biostat programs. And I completed college in three years and I went straight to do a master's in public health up at Yale University. And I I think that was a great decision all the way around for me. People like, well, why didn't you actually want to go and become a doctor? I said, well, I really felt like I was wanted the math behind me too. I really wanted to continue with data analysis. I liked the research and I did an internship at the World Health Organization for maternal child health. So I've been very lucky that way. And so you were surrounded by physicians at home. You had a lot of strong background at home. So how was childhood Otherwise, um, I have to say I had a pretty normal child. I was actually very lucky to have a stable family and we lived a very nice lifestyle on Long Island. I went to, uh, into, to Hewlett High School and had a lot of friends. I've always been an academic at heart. So, I mean, it was the students were great. I mentioned one of your questions, are you still friends with some of your high school friends? Yes, I am. It was it was a great environment. We, we lived near the beach, which is which was very advantageous for, for teenagers. We can get on a bicycle and travel to, to the Nassau, you know, Nassau County beaches. <laughs> and as well being very close to New York City. So I've always, um, I grew up there as a little girl. And um, when I graduated college, actually graduated from my master's, I went to live in New York City for 10 years. So um, I currently live in New Jersey. I felt I I got the best out of the tri-state area. I lived in Connecticut, New Jersey, and and New York. (laughs) You definitely have some peers, you have friends, but you also have people that really shape your life. Was there some one person like that that really helped you shape who you are today? I'd have to say my father. My father um, has been deceased now for close to 24 years. Unfortunately, he died just before his 63rd birthday. But he has been—he had been my my champion in anything in my life that I wanted to do. He would never say no, like you can't do it. But he would just say, "You're going to have to figure it out." And you know, he really believed in ethics—a very strong work ethic. And at 15, you know, all my friends are like, you know, do, doing exciting things as a teenager, maybe traveling, maybe, you know, studying abroad. But he said, no, you're going to get your first working working papers. I said, OK. And I'm like, but, you know, because he said that's something you need to learn early on is that, you know, you have to earn what, what you what you achieve in your life. So in, in a way, you know, I worked in whatever I worked at a caterer, I worked for this remedial teacher, I worked um, in retail, whatever job I, I was able to get uh, as a student. And through my and through my and through my graduate school years, you know, he was like, I don't believe in allowances, you you can figure it out. <laughs> So in all of your student jobs, was there a certain job that really stood out? And now looking back, you think, oh, my God, that job was the one that really gave me the skills that even today I use every day. I would have to say it was an internship that to my father, through one of my father's friends. He was um, a very famous scientist. He was also the poet laureate of, of Holland. And he was working on the first studies of thrombosis, blood clotting. Leo Roman, I'll never forget his name as long as I live. He lived until 99 years old. He really brought the the sciences, the arts together for me. And I, I really, that was something that was really nice. My father was always introducing me to inspirational people. 
And um, one of his also his inspirational friends was a woman physician that he helped that he he mentored. And um, he would act, my father was also attending at, at Downstate University Medical Center. And he would always get invited to the parties out in the Hamptons from the residents. I'm like, Dad, why are they inviting you? It's like, you're, you're, you're like their father, you know? And I would go, he's all oh, come to the parties, you'll see. And they're like, they, they like talk to my father like they were his dad too. It was like such another side of my dad that he was, you know, he was always, you know, his dad, but look at this. He has friends and and um and and they really trust him and they learned from him that was like so important, you know, to see that. So you you saw your dad really network well with others and being respected for who he was. Exactly. Did you learned something important out of that. And how have you used that in your own life to build your own network, your own support systems? Um, my father, no matter who you were, where you came from, he was open to him. He'd helped. He was a true, a true medical professional. I mean, it didn't make it. He just, he treated you. He took care of you. They would send my father gifts. I mean, my father got like homemade quilts from people and he, he loves it. He called them. This is the best gift. And, and they was just so appreciative. He treated people that were, you know, in lower income, higher income. And most importantly, he treated the veteran. He was enlisted in, um, for the Vietnam War. And we actually lived on an army base during Vietnam. After the experience, he said, I have to make the veterans a part of my life. When he came back to start his practice, he did. He worked at Fort Hamilton VA Hospital. And, um, you know, this was the commitments that I learned to community and people as well. Unfortunately, you don't realize these things. Till, unfortunately, someone passes away. But these were like really strong imprints. And even as a child, you mentioned things in the child. He was always, it was always a lesson to be learned. You have to learn history, you're, where you're from, your people. It was the bicentennial year. And we went to every city in the 13 colonies to visit all the historical sites. I'm like, what? But you know, when my daughter turned like seven years old, I took her to all the bicentennial landmarks because I learned history so much better when you finally, when you go to the like Gettysburg or you go to the Boston Tea Party and reenact throwing off the boxes of tea. I took her to like Betsy Ross's house and the Freedom Trail, the Independence Hall. I really think that's important for parents to, you know, teach by learning and you remember it and you understand that people lived before you and and what they, and what they were able to also, you know, make a change in the world. A picture is definitely worth thousand words. Seeing something you cannot forget that easily. So now looking back, right, your dad was such a big influence and something that he did really affected all of you in a great positive way. Do you, looking back, think you should have chosen another field or are you still happy with what you chose? No, I'm still happy with what I chose. I am. I can honestly say that. And the technology took it to another level. It was like nothing you could have planned. But I have to say, when I decided to go out into the consulting, it was really because the technology boom, advent of electronic health record. When I started to see the, the turn and what and what that access of, of information would mean for people. Um, I was working at JFK Healthcare. I was director of marketing science, and I used to work building um, very sophisticated segmentations to target physicians as to what they were what they were scripting and how was it was going to reach the patients and we was very sophisticated mathematics I really thought when I started to do the questionnaires and the surveys the analysis I started to see what was going what was changing in the doctor's offices their offices were 
filled with patients. They had no time to see them. They, they did not have time to get information about the med new medications the way they maybe would have wanted to. Video calls and not having to have detailed people, sales reps come to the office. You know, they were really able to get information from so many sources and it really was the game changer. And when electronic records came and the whole, you know, ACA Act and Obama president being president at the time, really, you know, unfolded an age in, in data history for, for medicine and for healthcare that it was, I said, I'm going to be in this. I learned so much working on projects like how do we save money by, you know, understanding readmissions, why are patients coming back to the hospital, answering really, really big questions. Uh, when I worked at, at Hackensack University Medical Center, the John Thur Cancer Center, like why don't we know what happens to our patients when they leave the hospital? I mean, they've been on drug treatment, but honestly, they didn't know if they lived or died. And in order to get on to one of the major clinical trials, it was became very competitive. And they're like, you know, Sarianne, we cannot have our doctors coming in on the weekend you know, handpicking out of out of paper files what patients to use when 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 hospitals in the out west are ten year uh, ten years ahead of us on using electronic health records and they're getting you know patients to their hospitals quicker than we are our patients are going to fly out west. <laughs> So we built a system, my first project managers asking very basic questions of doctors where, what, what would you like to see on, on your dashboard when you come into the office? What clinical trials do you want to know? What patients do you want to know firsthand about? Maybe understanding what was going, what information was coming out of the tumor registries. You know, we were a small team. And Dr. Andrew Pakora said, we want every patient to be like a train car on the, on the long train to know if they, you know, go onto a new train or they're on a different therapy. And we did it. And matter of fact, you know, we never even knew it was, you know, questions started coming up like, well, value-based care and how do you know what expect, how expensive one patient's care is versus another. And we were able to do models to say, well, if someone came in with this particular genetic history and per negative or positive, we can get, move them ahead, you know, 15 cars, you know, than they were when they first stepped onto the train, because we know that they're very similar and we have algorithms to prove it, that we will, we will get them ahead of the game before or, you know, then they, we could have maybe even three years ago. And now it's Coda Health. You may have been familiar with it up and moved up to Boston. And um, it, we were like the brain children of that, <laughs> Dr. Stuart Goldberg. And these are things that I, I really um, feel, I guess I can feel very proud of and it's emotional. So you should, you should. It's incredible work. I really hope that young women, sciences and, and computer science, you know, were very male dominated, but nearly not anymore. I really, you know, it was like, oh, data, it's over, you know, even my own daughter was like, she's, I don't know about data. Now, now she studied at GW and she's marketing and business. She's, mom, I'm going to major in business analytics and marketing and public health. I was like, wow. That's great. My daughter is doing computer science too. So yes, <laughs> women are more in the forefront now. And that's incredible. I think it's time. It's time. Well, I, don't, I don't know if, you, if you've ever seen the movie Hidden Figures about yeah. the women in, who came out and put the computers and, and brought the, stat the satellite back down. So that was like, you know, I was in high school at that time and it really wasn't a woman's field. And I think it's great that women in data groups and um, they have a large presence in, in coding. I think it's a very important skill. So going back to your career, if we divide it in three parts, right? You have been in corporate, you have been a consultant, you 
yourself. So if I asked you to divide it in three different parts, how do you think they're different? And what did you take from each part of this career going forward? Actually, I noted this down. I made, I made an official note of this because I know I said to myself, well, it's kind of like I was in the student mode in, in a corporate mode and in a consulting mode. So I think most part of my career, I was really just learning everything I possibly could. And I had some really good mentors, Dr. Jan Rowland. She was a PhD. Actually, her background was, I think, was in public health, but we were working in finance and, and learning a lot about building models. And she actually went on to be one of the senior uh, corporate leaders for the Optum Health. And um, that pushed us to do really good models and testing and things like that, which was very important when breaking into anal analytics, learning how to use the basic statistics that you learn in a book. You say, oh, I'm never going to use this ever again. You know, I memorized all this. And all of a sudden you're like, you know what? It's it's your it's your go-to cookbook every day. You know, I recommend for you know anyone going to college is really understand, try to explore what you think your core skill sets do you want to have? Like you want that you will know that that is your sweet spot and that's something that will give you a competitive I, I don't say competitive edge, but you feel like you come in with a skill set that will that demands a certain salary. And, and you will feel that confident in your skills, whether you achieve it even in your master level, but that's that's something I think is important. The first part of my career was really being a student, having mentors. That was really important. Their evaluations of you and 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 going whatever recommendations they made. If you take these courses or maybe you know take work on a project that was outside of your business realm to take a leadership project. That's all very important. And then I say you know that was like going into the actual corporate where I was really working K healthcare. And as a director level and having staff and and working on on large projects, that was like the next level of my career. And then finally, I really said, I, I really want to go out on my own. And I think that was very good for me. I really do. I said, I, I love to network. I have gone to so many conferences, people started to know me. And as part of that, you know, you start, I, I advise women to, to break out of like, oh, you know, someone else can do that presentation. No, no, someone else attend a conference, put your research together as an idea that you have, share it. Um, run around table, be a moderator, write some blogs. I really think it's very important. You just be, and am I just happy that you like and you'll never know until you do it. And then people say, you know, I read that or I, I found asked you a question and, you know, you, you network and they're like, you know, I like the way you think about things. I want to hire you. You know, that's really not just doing your job. But at that point, they really understand how you think a process through and, and where you articulate it or write it um, is very important. So has networking played a huge part in your life? Tremendous, tremendous part. And I was that was like even before like social media boom, where you really had to be physically be at a conference. <laughs> Not just on the camera. It really was very important. And when I got an opportunity to um, work with um, Answers Media Network, which was it's high tech answers, and it's a point in my life, I just did a tremendous amount of traveling for my consulting work. I was working at Tenant Healthcare in Dallas. I was working in Versailles for GE Healthcare. And my daughter was at a point in high school. I really felt I wanted to be a little bit more around, which was important personally. So I had the opportunity through a colleague of mine. Who, who knew Roberta and Carol, and they said, we, we need you to go out and to go to talk to all the healthcare leaders. I'm like, 
okay, <laughs> you know, high t- health IT layers. That's good. I can do it from my house too. You know, I got to meet John Brownstein, who was the founder of Uber Health. I got to meet Dr. Daniel Kraft at one of like the Click Health meetings. Got I got to, I used to um, Click Health is a very um, progressive analytics and healthcare marketing company. And sometimes they would have me interview some of their constituents. And I got to attend one of their parties and actually even meet Michelle Obama. It was it was on top of the, <laughs> the World Financial Center. And it's like, this was, you know, so I never really considered myself a journalist, a journalist to understand some analytics and to present the analytics to people with, with not having a technical or mathematical background. So that was, you know, a skill that I was able to, to hone in on. And that's another thing with, you know, women, you, you know, sometimes you get narrow in your field, but you need to find avenues to broad base yourself that, you know, people may not, you know, if you're an engineer or, or a physicist or work in a lab, you have a tendency to have your colleagues all understand the acronyms or the processes, but to explain it to someone who's interested, who doesn't know, is a skill within itself. Recommend that, you know, you, you speak just to other students or speak to finance people and say, what do you, you know, and maybe even try writing what you do for young professionals, because it really helps you even better understand and then what you do and how well the other person understands what you do. Hey, you're so right. Explaining it in layman's term is not easy sometimes. And we get so stuck in jargon. But to your point, if you can explain it to a new person who has new idea, then absolutely that's a skill we need to hone into. That's great advice. So you mentioned your daughter. While you were traveling and you were kind of building your career, you also had to manage your daughter. So what were some of the challenges and how did you really manage through those challenges? It is challenging. It's all I can tell you, whether you're a parent of one or five. You know, I was very thankful. My mom was was available to help me. And I was also very thankful that I had friends in my community. Some of them were also divorced. So we would actually watch each other's kids. It sounds very communal. And but you know what? It worked. And, you know, it's so like on the weekends, if I need to study or they needed some help, oh, but I have the kids stay with me. We rotate weekends sometimes with the girls staying at my house or their house. But I also, you know, I really needed childcare. That's something to think about, how, what was works for you. I was lucky enough to have a, a, some good organizations where I trusted them. And my daughter will always never forget. She says she's damaged because she was always the last person at daycare to get picked up because it closed at six o'clock. And even if I was working in Princeton, I was still the last one there. She understands. I mean, now that she's a grown up, she understands. But she also understands that, was, that for me working and and doing what I needed to do. Um, I was a better parent. I, you know, I had the means to, to help her out and put her through college. So, um, and to advance and to get to a point where now that she's on her own, I get to do the things I've been wanting to do in my career that I haven't had a chance to do, but you know, it's very personal decisions. There are no right or wrong. I think it's, you know, the people have to look at their children, look at their financial situation, make big decisions. I think if they're smart about it, they will all work out. Speaking of challenges, you went through the biggest challenge. You're a cancer survivor. How did you manage and what was it like? And how do you think that has really changed your perspective in life? Every day is a blessing. I got cancer when I was in my early 40s. I got leukemia. And I was it it was just for luckily for me that I always go to my doctors every year and I tell I want to tell women, please, please take care of yourself. Without your health, you're no good to anybody. <laughs> 
And it's very important to take your physicals and all your checks and don't like, oh, next month, next month. No, it's not next month. You put you put your I have my, you know, your month on the calendar. That's it's where all my all my medical appointments go to, you know, whether it's your teeth, your dermatology, your chiro, whatever it is you need to do, you need you need to go. So I was lucky enough that I always go to a primary care physician and he, he noticed some of my blood counts were a little off. And he said that, you know, come back in two weeks and see if it's a respiratory UTI. It wasn't. But, you know, I had very good care, very good care. And I've been a survivor now um, in remission for with no drugs whatsoever for 10 years. So I am extremely, extremely lucky. And I never did tell my daughter during that time that I had any situation. Just lucky for me, I didn't have to lose my hair or anything. Was you know there was a little bloating, but and some she noticed certain things. I tell her it was my vitamins kind of thing. You know, you do what you can with your children. I did not want my child to be distressed in her life, and that was something that was very important to me. And. I told my doctors, you know, um, be serious with me. If I only have so many years to live, I want to know what, what rearrange my priorities is no, no, this is a new drug. You're going to go. I went on clinical trial, did all my research and everything else. Very important. And I'm very thankful. And uh, I eventually told my daughter when she was 21 years old that her mom had cancer. <laughs> it's like, what did you, people, I even, did, I even said to you, yes, what people didn't know because I, I didn't want anyone to like treat me any differently. I didn't want any of that. I wanted to continue working because I didn't want anyone not hate to say, it. you don't want to be discriminated for. And I managed and everything else. And I remember my daughter says to me, she's well, I'm going to work for Camp Kesem this summer, um, which, this, which, is, which is a camp for children whose parents are suffering with cancer. I said, I said, well, maybe this is a good time to tell her. She's 21 years old. She's an adult now. And um, I said, you know, you you could have been one of those children going to that camp, but I'm so proud of you that you're actually going to be a counselor for those children. And she looked at me, she goes, oh, she goes, I always wondered about those vitamins you told me you were taking. Yeah, but we are also proud of you. Like just coming out of something like that <laughs> without knowing, you know, without telling more many people and, you know, struggling through it by yourself is not easy. So kudos to you. Well, I have to say it wasn't really by myself, but... I think for me, it worked. Maybe for other people, it may not have been their choice. It's very, very personal decisions. And I don't think there's a right or a wrong. So in terms of values, are there certain values that you really hold close to you and you really live your life by? I'm very close to my family. I really am. I have a wonderful man in my life. And, um, you know, I've been divorced. And so I appreciate good relationships. I appreciate the time I spend. I have an 86-year-old mother who's not doing so well with ischemic heart disease and dementia. Your time is here is, is, is meaningful and what you do is meaningful. So I hope everybody, you know, makes good choices. I, I remember when I left college or in university, I just had my first job actually. And I was very stressed out. I said, what am I going to do in my life? I don't have a syllabus anymore. I said, you know, I knew when to study, when to go to the library, what weekends would I be able to go to a party. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I went to, went to a counselor and she said, Sarah and she goes, you're going to have to learn to become resourceful. <laughs> I was like, what? 
I go and, he, and then that was like my life mantra. It's like, you have to be resourceful. Did you seek out any mentors? Yes, I did. I, I, had, some, I had some good mentors. There was physician friends of my father. She, um, she was a good mentor of me. I can go with her for questions and, and career. And, and she would always say to me, Sarah, and she goes, I'm going to tell you something. She says, I know you know what you talk about. You get anxious about things. And she says, live your life and don't and just do it. She says, just don't live in hope it's going to work out. Work through the, the steps that it's going to make it work out. And um, these are things that sometimes when your parents tell you, you're like, oh, you know, but all of a sudden when you see someone and they've established and, um, I, you know, listen, we all make our mistakes. Sometimes they say, well, maybe it would have went this way or that way, you know. And uh, matter of fact, I was at my daughter's belated graduation this this weekend and uh, Dr. Elizabeth Warren gave the keynote address, Elizabeth Warren, the former, you know, she runner for presidency. And um, she's always like, you know, sometimes you swipe right, left and then you realize you know thank goodness you swiped right the next time left or right you know this except left and then you you know so things you know but she says like even with her presidency and she has no regrets of ever of running and um and all this is what it is but you have to take a chance and believe in yourself and that I don't want to sound rhetorical but that's the kind of the things that that are you know I think about make plans and sometimes the plans don't work and sometimes they do I think that's been a very big lesson for a lot of young people especially my daughter and her friends and being in their 20s and going what is happening to the world I said you know coping mechanisms is something you just don't have you have to achieve you get them over time there'll be times in your life that are going to be really really bad i call it the seven years of famine and the seven years of feast because you don't know when that's going to happen so i said you always have to be prepared in some way in your life whether you put money away whether you have some made some good friends or you do things with some level of your life knowing there's going to be problems but just just a way that you think and make decisions. She was very nervous about COVID. You just got to listen to what Fauci is saying, what the CDC is saying, you know, and and you'll get through it. You know, everyone in life is going always going to be these unforeseen events. You have to believe that you can get through some very bad times. So, in terms of um, certain qualities that we as women should develop, do you have any advice? I think that we should be not always worried about being like. Everything has to be perfect and the little boxes all lined up. I think sometimes they get shuffled around and it's good sometimes. And I think sometimes you look for approval. We're looking and we don't really say, you know what, I'm okay. And I give yourself credit. And I think that's real, that's important in the workforce. I think that we should learn to, you know, not be afraid to have your voice be heard. I think that's really important. I think you should know, learn, you know, it's something that comes with time. You learn, I think you should value your opinions and also most importantly, not be afraid to move out of your comfort zone. I think sometimes you're like, oh, you know, I've always been afraid of finance. I'm not good at numbers. I'm like, you know, maybe taking like a seminar or a course is, is can help you. I think in your career, n- never rest on your laurels. It's always something else to be learned or shared. I found that really important. It gives you a sense of self-confidence when you do something like, oh, I thought it would be like this or I learned something new because growth is real important. 
So in closing, any final comments for our listeners? I say just be thankful. Everything that you have is a blessing. Find good people in your life that you trust and respect. And, and for every reason that you can, say you love them and thank them and pick up the phone and say hello or social media. It, it's important. I think the one thing that it's kind of a funny compliment that I have from my friends who I know from high school is that Sarah, and you have a way of maintaining friendships over decades. I think that's something that people should should learn to do. I don't know what it is, but really, it's really like the little things like holiday cards or a phone call. And you never know, it could be your, your, next, your next job. Great advice. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And I had a great time chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I wish you tons of success as well. Thank you.